Well, welcome back to the Shores Church Online. Great to be with you today. My name is Pastor Scott. I'm the lead pastor here at the Shores Church, and it is great to take a few moments today to study God's Word with you. Let me just encourage you, whether you're watching on YouTube, following on Facebook, streaming on Spotify, or catching us some other way, take a moment to like this video or this audio, and would you just subscribe as well so you make sure that you don't miss out on anything that the Shores Church puts out so we can help you understand God's Word better and fall in love with Jesus' Word. Today we're going to continue on in our series, The Letters of John. This is week two, and we're going to be looking at the second half of First John. Just want to give you a couple reminders in case you forgot from last week that while First John is technically anonymous, and second and third John are identified as the elder being the writer, that we are able to kind of piece together that this is John the disciple for a couple reasons. One, it fits the styling of the writing of the Gospel of John. Two, it fits the same kind of themes, the same topics, the same issues are being addressed here. And then number three, this is what the church history would tell us. So based off of all of those things, we can very comfortably say that John wrote this, even though it doesn't technically or formally say that John wrote this. John at this point in time was a little bit older. He was a little bit more mature. He was further in his journey with Christ and his helping of churches and individuals understand the good news that was Jesus. And in this moment, he is helping some different churches in the general area of Ephesus. There had been uh, some conflict in these churches that they were of Jewish background, and part of the group had broken off and were no longer following after Jesus. These three letters are kind of a combination of instruction and reminders for the church uh, how to deal with the fallout of the situation. And that if you remember as well that this is not your typical uh, New Testament book, that so many of them are kind of building the case for uh, Christ, and if this, then this, and if this, then that. In this case, it is kind of a poetic uh, presentation uh, of, of the gospel, uh, po poetic instruction, and he keeps hitting on some themes over again, uh, life and love and truth. And so we keep seeing these ideas kind of come up again and again. Like he's really trying to remind us of these topics. And so today's main focus is going to be 1 John 3, 11 through chapter 5. We're going to go through and read most of this together and study most of this. There'll be a little bit that we leave out, but at the same time, you're going to get the good understanding and good basis for uh, these chapters. And with last week's message and then today's message, you'll have a good understanding of the book of 1 John. And the main topic today is that Jesus and God are ultimately love. So we're going to get there in just a moment, but would you go ahead and repeat after me today? Your word is written in my mind. Your word is hidden in my heart. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will seek you with all of my strength. I choose to live my life according to your word. Your word, O oh Lord, is eternal. Well, we're going to go ahead and jump right into 1 John, uh, starting in chapter 3, verse 11, and we're going to read through verse 24. So would you go ahead and read this with me right now? For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. 
we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. The first idea that I want to pull out of this passage of scripture is this, love one another. We need to love one another. I know that sounds simple. It's an easy truth, but it's a hard one to put into practice and actually execute on. The difference between being righteous and being of the world is love. When we think back to the story of Cain and Abel back in Genesis that this passage refers to, Cain killed Abel because he was mad that Abel's sacrifice, is his offering, was accepted by God and Cain's wasn't. Now, if we go back and we were to look at that passage, we would see that Cain was a gardener and he brought of the, the, the crop of the ground that he had. He, he brought some of what he had. And Abel took care of a flock. And the passage in Genesis tells us that Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock. Basically, here's the thing, is Abel brought his best and Cain brought something. That Cain's motivation, that he was coming before God and he did want to, to, to serve God, but he wasn't bringing his best, but Abel did. And what happened here was wasn't even that God was mad or furious at Cain. He just said that Abel's was better. And Cain allowed that to get the best of him. And then he went and he killed his brother because he was mad that Abel's righteous deed was accepted and his wasn't. And this is what this is really getting at is that today we need to authentically realize that the, the world is going to dislike us because of our righteousness if we're living the way God has called us to live. Now, I want you to hear this for a moment. So often we can uh, want to obtain this attitude of this uh, self-righteous, like, well, the world hates me because I'm doing what God has called me to do. And we get this attitude, and that's not the attitude to have here. You see, because that's basically saying, I'm better than you, so go ahead and hate me. No, what we need to realize from this passage of scripture is that because we're doing what God has called us to do, people aren't going to like us. But we don't have any kind of bad attitude towards them. We realize you feel this way because I'm operating in righteousness 
And a lot of times you probably want to have the same things that I have. And in our world, the, the thing that we do so often is we push other people down as a means of trying to push myself up. But the thing is that we always lose sight of, as I push people down, they continue to go down. And even though I might feel like I'm higher than them, as I'm pushing myself up, I'm really just sinking myself. But we need to pull ourselves up to the level that God has for us. And how do we do that? Not by hating other people, not by doing evil to other people, but we pull ourselves up by saying, God, would you pull me up? Jesus, would you pull me up? And we start acting in love. We start doing the very thing that Jesus Christ did for us. That if we want to be right before God, if we want to live righteously before God, we need to be individuals who love. And that this passage tells us that when we pass from death into life, we do that because we begin to love others the way that Jesus loved us. Hear that again, that we move from death into life when we begin loving people the same way that Jesus loved us. But we have to ask ourselves the question, what is love? I want you to hear this. This is from the same passage again. It says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay our lives for down for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against them, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. You see, it's so easy to talk about the right things. It's so easy to talk loving other people. But the difficult part is when we have to do it, deed, and share it in the way God wants us to, truth. We need to live it out and we need to speak the truth, not from our own perspective, but from God's perspective. That Jesus laid down his life for us. That is our measure of what love is. And so often it's easy to love the people that are like us. We, it is easy to love the people who do things the way we want them to do it. But how do we love people who don't do it the way we want them to? That we encourage them to do this or try that or make this change and they don't do any of it. That we share the gospel, we share the good news of Jesus Christ with them, but they don't do anything with it. And it's this idea that we need to value other people. We need to love them even when they dislike us. We need to love them even when they're mean to us. We need to love them when they're rude to us. We just need to love people because Jesus loved us first, that he would lay down his life while we were still sinners so that we could move into repentance and have eternal life with God in heaven forever. We need to be individuals as Christians that love one another. And if we do, you'll be amazed at the difference that can happen when we put other people first. Now, that being said, I want to go ahead and I want to move into John chapter 4 now. And we're going to read verses 1 through 6. Let's read those together. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. 
Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, these false prophets that, that John is describing here in the text is a direct result from this church split that we previously have talked about. They're individuals, they were Jewish believers, and they stopped believing that Jesus was the Messiah. And in the process of this, they're trying to pull some of their friends or family members onto their side. They're, they're trying to pull them away from this idea that Jesus is the Messiah, this idea of them being an antichrist, this idea of them being a false prophet, that these individuals, they're close with them, but they're no longer close with Jesus. And so John is really trying to encourage these, these people to stay to what the truth is. You know what truth is. Don't fall into this idea that Jesus is not the Messiah. Now, John is trying to convince them to test the spirits and see if it's of God, if it's of Satan, or maybe it's just of man. You see, I say this because there's words that come from God. There's words that would come from Satan or direct attacks from Satan, I probably should say. But then there's also things where man thinks they're saying the right thing, and it's not necessarily wrong, but it's also not necessarily right. And it's kind of this, like, I don't really know how to take that comment. And so John has really encouraged them, you need to test the spirits. One of the most dangerous things I think a Christian can say is the following words, God told me. God told me. You see, the reason why I say this is a lot of times people will use God told me as a trump card of, I don't want to listen to you, so I'm going to tell you that God told me. Now, God told me is a statement that I know God has spoken to me. I know that I felt confidence in what God has said to me. But when, especially when I'm using it towards somebody else, I'm very careful, even in running and planning a church, that I'm very careful saying God told me because what it does is it shuts other people down. It's a way of basically saying, you know what, you have an opinion, you have a thought, but I'm just going to say that God told me, and then how are you going to argue with God? So we got to be really careful when we say God told me. And this is kind of what's happening here is that these false prophets are basically saying, yeah, Jesus isn't the Messiah. That they're really trying to say, like, keep following God, but stop following that Jesus because that Jesus isn't real. And we need to be very careful that as we listen to other people, as we listen to other pastors and preachers, and even as you listen to me, make sure that what I'm saying lines up with Scripture. Now, let me encourage you something. If you're going to test the Spirit, you need to know God's Word. You need to study God's Word. you got to be uh, praying through what is God really saying to you in this moment. You need to have the Holy Spirit in you. And you need to be fully engulfed in God in order to discern the spirits. It's that idea if I walk into a room and somebody asks me a question on a topic that I don't know anything about, and then I start giving an answer like I know what I'm talking about, and then people follow me, it's a dangerous thing. But the only way that you can tell whether I'm intelligent on the topic or not is by really looking at it and assessing it like, does that make sense? And in order to make sense of things when you're, you're testing the spirits, you have read through God's word, you have studied God's word, you've prayed about it, you've learned from people that are reputable, that you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And let me encourage you, if it goes against what Jesus said, if it goes against what Jesus did, if it goes against the word of God, then you can pretty much assume that it's not of God, because God is never going to contradict himself. Now, we're going to move into 
1 John 4, verses 7 through 21 now. So let's check this out together. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. The point that I want to pull out of this particular passage is simple. It's this, God is love. God is love. Here we see John cycling back kind of over and over again this idea of love. He's really trying to pull this out. He is poetically trying to make this sermon point stick. Love, 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 that this is who God is. It is a simple concept, uh, but it takes a lifetime for us to perfect. The more we move from disliking or hating somebody, the more we move into love. The more we move into love, the more of a deeper relationship we begin building with Jesus. And let me encourage you with something. You might say, well, I don't want to love this person. This person is somebody that they're causing me all kinds of problems, all kinds of stress, and I really just want to get my, my vengeance. I, I want to get my judgment. I want, to, uh, I want to get what I deserve. And there's a reason why Romans 12, 19 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. The reason that exists is because God has the full understanding of all things. I want you to think about yourself for a moment. Kind of do a quick evaluation. How many times through the course of your entire life has somebody not had the full information or the full story about why you did something, but they got upset at you because they felt like you weren't making the right life choice. Now, you, can, you probably are having something come to your mind as I say that, but if you, you aren't quickly, let me just say why I'm bringing this up. And it's very easy for you and I to look at something and say, well, yeah, I would react that way if these different things had happened, but this happened and this is why I reacted the way I did. And I know I wasn't right, but I wasn't 100% wrong. And we start kind of rationalizing the way we did things and the reason why we did things. And at the same time, if I'm on the side casting judgment and I'm getting frustrated and I'm getting angry, 
I don't have the full story of why you did what you did. And if I had the full story, it might change my perspective a little bit. But the thing is, God has that aerial perspective where he can look at the full scenario at the same time. And this is why God gets the vengeance. This is why God gets to exact judgment. And we don't because we don't have the full story that God can see what somebody's doing, why they're doing it, and why they continue to do it. Now, let me encourage you with this, though, that while it might be frustrating for you at times because you want to see justice done, let me challenge you with this thought today. Just love the person and allow God to sort things out. It's not up to you to try and make everything right and to take care of all the world's problems. We are just called to love people the way Jesus loved people. And Jesus laid down his life so that you and I could be made right with God. So we need to love people and be willing to do what we need to do in order for them to be made right with God. That is the plan. That is what we are called to do. We keep loving and we keep loving and we keep loving. Now, there's another thought that comes out of this and it says that perfect love casts out all fear. Take that in for a moment. Perfect love casts out all fear. I think as Christians, too often we make our main argument why somebody should accept Jesus is accept Jesus or go to hell. How are we winning people to Christ in that manner? We're doing it by trying to scare them into relationship with somebody. Process that. Think about that for a moment. We're trying to win people to Jesus by scaring them and saying, if you don't accept him, you're going to go to hell. What kind of relationship is that? And now, yes, I know if you're already thinking it, that's a true statement. We know that apart from relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, what the Bible tells us is that we're going to go to hell if we don't have relationship with Jesus and have asked for, for the forgiveness of our sins. I understand that. It's a factually true statement of the Bible, and it is something that needs to be taught and something that needs to be said. But for the vast majority of people, the, this is what I want you to understand. This is what I want you to hear is that we're going to be much more successful loving people into the kingdom than we are scaring them into the kingdom, especially long term. We might scare somebody in, but when all of a sudden they don't feel the threat of, of hell, they might leave. But if we can love them into the kingdom and let them see the authentic, real personality that is God and let them fall in love with God the same way that you and I have fallen in love with God, you'll notice that things are completely different. So how do we do that? We're consistent in people's lives. We share our testimonies of what God has done. We share how, yeah, I still have struggles, but here's how God is helping me. We encourage them. We build them up and we slowly by uh, bit by bit, we start building up that relationship so that they'll accept Jesus Christ. And it might be a little bit faster time, sometimes scaring somebody into the kingdom, but it's nowhere near as effective as that process of just loving them into the kingdom. So let me just encourage you with that. And if you are experiencing fear in your life and you're worrying and you're doubting, well, will I even make it to heaven? I just want you to do a quick little evaluation of your own life. Realize the fact that perfect love, God, in him there is no fear. So you have those emotions, you have those feelings, run back to God because in God, fear cannot exist. We're going to now jump into 1 John 5, verses 1 through 5. Let's read it together. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. 
For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Now, I think so often we hear this word overcome, and we think it in a, uh, an underdog type of a story, a sport type of story, that I overcame that person, I win, I, I beat them, I defeated them. And when we really look at it through the context that is this entire letter, that we get this idea that if we're going to overcome something, we're going to have victory, but it might not be the way that you and I think it is. You see, when we are in God, we are a new creation. When we are in God, we abide in him. When we abide in him, we're abiding with love. So if we're a new creation and we're abiding in love, then that means we are sharing this love with anyone we come in contact with. And ultimately, here's what it means. It means that we have realized that God loves us so incredibly much that he would send Jesus to die on a cross for us, to be resurrected, to ascend back to heaven, to come again one day and to bring us home so that we could spend eternity with God in, in heaven. Now, here's the thing you got you to gotta take from that, is when you authentically understand that, and you can walk in the peace that God is going to win, that we know how the story ends. And even when it feels scary, when it looks scary, when things aren't going the way that you think they should go, that God is in control and you can just sit and you can abide in the love of God. That is the moment when you realize that you have overcome the world. You see, overcoming the world isn't saying I've won every single battle, that I faced everything I was going to face. Overcoming the world means there's nothing that the world can throw at me that will ultimately defeat me. That the world can throw its worst at me, and I'm just going to keep going. I'm just going to keep being successful. I'm going to keep building the kingdom. Yeah, in the case of when we think of someone like Paul, who spent so many years in jail, and he kept writing prison epistles, that he didn't overcome the jail in that moment, but he had already overcome the world because he was a new creation in God, abiding in the love of God. And that's what I want to encourage you with today, is you might feel today that you are just stuck where you are and you need to overcome, but realize that if you are in God, you are a new creation and you have overcome this world. There is nothing in this world that will ultimately defeat you. It might not, uh, victory might not come as quickly as you'd like for it to come, but you're going to ultimately be successful. So let me just encourage you with that today, that Keep going, keep pushing, keep leaning into God. Remember that in Christ, in uh, who is perfect love, there is no fear. And if there's no fear, then that means I can trust that God is in control. And if I can trust that God is in control, I can trust his love. And if I can trust his love, then I need to share that love with other people. And I need to share it with everybody, whether there's somebody that is my friend or there's someone who's in my enemy. So today, as we go to close, I just want to pray that we would be successful individuals at loving others the way God would call us to love them, and that we would overcome those things that come in our way so that we're able to put the focus where God wants us to. So let me pray for you today. Heavenly Father, I just pray over my friends today as they've listened to this message, as they've taken it in, I pray that they would be an individual who would love other people. 
that you would help them grow in love. You would help them grow in their walk with you so that they could look more like Jesus Christ. That when we were still in sin, you came and you died on the cross for us. And I pray that we would be individuals who would be willing to go after those who desperately need you, even if they don't love us, even if they dislike us because of the righteous deeds that we do on your behalf. I pray that you would step in and you would challenge them to live the life that you would want for them. And I pray for each individual that is listening right now that you would help them to be overcomers. Not that we're going to win every little detail of every little battle here on earth, but that ultimately we would realize that no matter what comes against us, if we are in God and we are a new creation, that we will overcome that scenario with time and that we will have victory because you are the one that goes before us and you're the one that goes with us and you're the one that's behind us as well. Lord, I thank you that you are so present in each and every one of our lives. And as we study these letters from John, I pray that the wisdom would just come into our lives and would change the way we do life. In Jesus' incredible name, amen. Now, as we go to close, let me just remind you again, if you're following on Facebook, watching on YouTube, or streaming on Spotify or some other means, make sure that you like the video or the audio that you're listening to and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on any future content. Check out myshores.church to see what are the upcoming things that are happening in person and for your opportunity to give to the Shores Church. And as we close today, would you say the Great Commission with me? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Thanks for taking a couple moments to join us for the Shores Church Online today. Head on over to myshores.church, and that way you can see what's going on in person. We'd love to see you in the building. You can give to the church as well, and we will catch you in the next video.